Hey, hey, welcome again. My name is Law Whitean and I'm the host of Your Money and Your Mindset. And this program, we talk about what makes you tick and more importantly, how what makes you tick decides the amount of money you make, you earn, you keep and whether you prosper and whether you create and maintain and preserve your wealth or whether it slips through your fingers. So I always have interesting guests that come on and uh, the purpose of the exercise is for them to enlighten you and to shed some, I guess, shine a path for you so that you understand why you do what you do if that's not helpful, but more importantly, when you determine or when you've decided that that's not helpful, you can have various means and ways of rectifying it. And so my very special guest today is Dr. Harry Stanton. I'll just tell you a little bit about Dr. Stanton, first of all. He is a fellow of the Australian Society of Hypnosis, a fellow of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, and a member of the Australian Psychological Society. Now, this man has had over 40 years' experience in the field of clinical psychology and hypnotherapy and in his private practice he helps his clients develop self-confidence and self-esteem and not only that to overcome problems that they face when investing or trading in the financial markets so the foundation of Dr. Stanton's work is basically self-empowerment morale building improvement of your performance and that centers around helping his clients manage their lives more successfully by overcoming the, uh, I guess, the roadblocks that they create themselves. Now, he's authored over 250 articles and nine books. And the ones that we're interested in are The Success Factor, Succeeding in Business and in Life. And the more pertinent one here for us folks, trade win Let the Trade Winds Flow, Psychology for Super Traders. Mm, that's very interesting. In addition, he's also teamed up with some super gun traders, Louise Bedford and Chris Tate, and they've gone on to record a, a CD, a double CD called Psychology Secrets. Very important, listen up, folks, because it talks about the 10 most common mistakes made by stock market traders and how they might overcome them. So now we know all about Dr. Stanton, but can you tell us who Harry Stanton is? And welcome on the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, now, you asked the greatest question of all, who I am. I'm getting very, very ancient. I don't know if I've found out that out yet, but it's interesting. You mentioned in the introduction that you were trying to help people find out what makes them tick. In a way, that's got what got me interested in psychology. I, uh, I started off working in a... a um, holiday resort and I went to the university I became a teacher while teaching I was then started teaching teachers how to teach and got interested in psychology as a way of well understanding myself I suppose but also understanding uh, personal relationships better and it's funny the things that stick in your mind the uh, first course I did with uh, um, psychology the, the lecturer strutted in and said, if you, if you want to learn more about yourself and, and how things work, you're not going to find it out here. And I thought, well, that's a wonderful example of motivation. <laughs> so um, from that point, I just got interested in, well, really trying to find out how I could make more of myself and then got interested in trading fairly early in the piece as, as a way of, not so much as a way of making money, but as a challenge, I think. I think um, a lot of people who are very successful traders 
Uh, they're not obsessed with making money. The ones who are often are the ones who do worst. They see it as a challenge, a way of pitting themselves against uh, an adversary, a very unforgiving adversary, and uh, they get a real kick out of that. I think it's a big motivation why people try it. That's really interesting because what you've said, you've hit uh, the nail on the head, which is something that most successful people say. It's not about the money. I mean, to the average person who hasn't got it, they're rolling their eyes and, and saying, come on, pull the other leg. But really, when you get down to it, it is, like you say, becoming, morphing into the best versions of themselves. And at some level, they understand they have to become that person if they are, they're going to succeed and be consistently successful. Is that right? Mm. And you can't separate trading from the rest of life. I, um, I try to make things very simple. My therapy work I've stripped down now to real basic essential stuff that works again and again and again. And I think people can become obsessed with something or another and, and often it is trading to such an extent that it destroys their family life, it, it virtually controls their life. And trading is one aspect of living. Well, I try to help people to live more successfully, uh, to, um, to just enjoy their lives more, to make more of themselves, and trading is part of that, that it's part of the balance of life, that if you can handle your own life generally successfully, you're usually able to trade pretty well as well. Okay, so I'm hearing is basically you're saying the person, whoever it is, has to do a fair bit of um, self-maintenance and self-awareness because it sounds like the people who end up wrecking their families tend to equate their success with trading as in their identity is tied up with that. So if their stocks are good, they feel good. If they're on a losing streak, they feel crap and take it out on everybody else. Mm. I think oh, you're probably just very aware of this too with many of the interviews you do with people and so on, but one of the big problems people have is nothing is ever their fault. It's <laughs> always someone else's fault uh, or something's fault. I mean, if people have bad trades, it's the broker that's done it or they've been misled by the news or something else, and it's not only trading, it's almost everything in your life that it's hard to accept the fact that we make mistakes, that we um, we blunder along, we try to, to <laughs> we try to stop making the same mistakes again and again, but there's so many we can make, you don't have to actually repeat yourself. But the fact, it's one of the things with traders that makes a trader successful is being able to accept the fact that, yes, they've made a mistake, They've got to learn from that mistake so they don't make it again and, in fact, improve their trading as a result of that. If they're blaming something else for the difficulty, you don't learn. You don't progress at all. Yeah, so they say that a certain percentage of your clientele may come in initially with, like, a, a victim mentality. Then if it's, you know, them outside causing my problems, the economy, the, the politicians, the, the anything else yeah. but... Um, hello, I have a part to play in this too, and I haven't shown up. Yeah, and it's the same, you'll find the same thing in their relationships, that um, if things are not going well there, again, that's really not their fault. It's um, someone else's. It's, it's quite often when I've um, 
been talking to couples trying to help them improve their relationship. One or the other will say, uh, the other person's responsible for my happiness. It's up to them to make me happy, and they're not doing it, so they're failing. Now, I think the same thing can be seen often with traders when they um, latch on to some person who they think can um, help them, guide them. Uh, some brokers sometimes, which is a bit pointless. I mean, brokers are just salespeople. They're not, they don't really know very much about trading. And then when it goes wrong, it's the fault of the other person, coming back to the idea of not their own fault again that it's up to the other person to do it for them. And if they're not doing it for them, they're failing them. Okay, so they're not being accountable for their own actions. And That's so, exactly right. Yeah, so we've identified then something that you see, I guess, time and time again. People come in and say, my trading is you know, not making me money. In fact, it's wrecking my home life, etc., and my taking a hit on my finances. And then do you... Basically, in conversation, them do you hear their story? I, I use the word story inverted commas that they're so wedded to this idea, uh, and your job is to gently or maybe not so gently bring them around to the fact that they too have to own up and be accountable. Yeah, it's a it's an old technique, a technique that's been around for centuries called pacing and leading, that you can't make someone do something differently. What you do is join them where they are, join them in their own misperceptions, if you like, in their own particular way of looking at things, show them you understand that, and then try to gently move them away from that towards something that would be more productive. Uh, it's a, you can't lead a horse to water, as they say. You can lead to water, but you can't make them drink. Well. You've got to join a person where they are first. And if they're, if they're doing all sorts of ridiculous things in their trading, you still talk to them on the basis of that to see and talk to them that, yes, I can see why you're doing that, and yes, I can see that. And if you thought perhaps you might, what you're doing here, you might modify just a little. And so you gradually urge them towards something more productive. And usually that works very well. It's, you have to be patient to do it, though. Yeah, yeah. So there is an element, what I'm hearing is getting them to become more self-aware. That's right. Okay. And that, for a lot of people, is actually a very frightening place to go to, even though they'll say, of course I want to do this. That's their conscious mind. But as we know, your subconscious has a big say in, in, the, in, in how you live your life anyway. So... How do you get them without getting into the techniques that somebody can say, okay, I know I keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again in this particular trade. I just cannot help myself. So the question is, Dr. Stanton, how can you help me? Now, yeah, the interesting thing is, I'm, I, I suppose I'm fortunate in a way. People often come to me and they say, um, oh, I'm really desperate. I've got to do something about whatever it might be, such as, well, trading better. Um, I just don't know what to do. Now, the beauty of that is that's when a person is ready to change. They're looking for an opportunity. And that's when you can show them perhaps different ways of going about things. But I, I, there's an old technique. It's, it's becoming much more popular again now. It's a Buddhist technique called mindfulness, which you may have heard about. Mm. 
And it is focusing intently on what you're doing at the moment. Now, I'm sure if I say to you, and this is what I try to advise all my patients to do, all my clients to do, is to try to live as much as possible in the moment, to take each day as a fresh life, a new beginning, a fresh start, a fresh opportunity. Because if you're honest with yourself, most people either live in the past worrying about things they've done in the past which they wish they hadn't but they've done or more importantly and they find this particularly for ladies rather than men that the biggest source of distress, stress in their lives is worrying about things that never happen in the future. Almost all the things we worry about happening in the future never happen but people stress themselves tremendously by worrying about that. And one of the things I find works really well is if I can get people to adopt a different way of looking at things, of thinking of each day as if it's a fresh start. The same thing you can think about in your trading. Every trade you take is the first trade of the next thousand you're likely to take. You get it in proportion that this is not the be-all and end-all. If it doesn't work well, it's only the first trade. You've got another hundreds and hundreds to come and so on. And that's one of the ways that you can help people become more aware that they realize they are perhaps locked into the past or worrying too much about the future and that simply are not enjoying the present moment, which is all you've got. Yeah, it, which is sort of the antithesis of what you consider to be the trader. You know, people have this idea of being in the pit at Wall Street, lots of people in bright coloured jackets shouting at each other, throwing bits of paper around, and you're asking for somebody to be calm <laughs> and mindful in that well, moment. Well, that's, that's just about finished. The, the mindfulness is quite easy. The simplest way, by the way, the simplest way of using it, which is still, I think, brilliant, and if people do this, they'll feel so much more calm in their lives, and they, when you're more calm, you retrade better and everything is that during the day, there are often many times when you're waiting for something. Uh, waiting for a phone call, you might be waiting for, um, you're waiting in a queue. As you know, the queue you're in always moves slowest. And if you change queues, that's the slowest. <laughs> it always seems to happen. Or even waiting at traffic lights. But what you do, you don't try to change your breathing. You don't try to deep breathe. You don't try to do anything like that. You just get interested in the way your breath flows in and flows out and flows in and flows out. It's fantastically soothing. You get in touch with your own body rhythm and you're focusing on that at the moment. If your mind gets pulled away to something else, you don't blame yourself. You just gently bring yourself back to the flowing with the breath. And if you, instead of, well, I mean, I was, you get on the phone to someone and they... Uh, you get shuttled from one person to another and you get more and more frustrated and you're told to hang on and wait. If instead of doing that, you shift your mind away and think, ah, here's an opportunity to just practice this mindfulness breathing. By the end of the day, you'll be amazed how much more relaxed you are. And it's so simple. It's wonderful. It's for centuries. Yeah, because most people will not associate that sort of practice, which sounds very gentle, non-aggressive and actually getting in touch with yourself with trading which is almost the antithesis of that which is supposed to be go 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 aggressive aggressive testosterone testosterone. I know that's another point you've raised that's very important a lot of people 
trade and for the excitement. A sure way to lose money. So is that the more a, a, sorry a neurotransmitter thing where they get a, a, a buzz out of it? It's almost like going to the pool. Yeah, it's almost like an addiction. It's like gambling. Mm. And when, in fact, you can look at a lot of trading very similar, similarly to gambling. It's what it is, a lot of it. But the fact is they do it for the excitement, the buzz they get out of it. Yeah. But you'll almost always lose. The really good traders you'll find are almost totally unemotional. And they're not involved. They're not caught up in the excitement of it all. So when you say non-emotional, can you just talk, talk about it? Because yeah. a lot of people will get, uh, like I say, you know, they, they, they get elated when they're doing well. They get despondent when they're doing badly. It's almost like being on a roller coaster and you're being hijacked by your emotions. Mm. That's why the I think if there is such a thing as a secret to trading successfully, it's got to be mechanical, automatic. You have to identify an entry point for where you think a stock or a future or a currency, you have things in place that tell you now's the time to enter this trade. You have similar automatic exits. You don't think about, should I get out at this time or is this it? No, if it, certain things conditions are fulfilled, you get out. You have to make the trading automatic and mechanical in that you don't have to second guess, should I get in here, should I get out there, that's when the emotions come in, fear, greed, hope, pride, all these things, and they make like, trading very difficult when that happens, very difficult, but if you can make the thing mechanical, and that's what your good traders do, mm. they don't second think about it, they, they know, ah, this is to get. This is it. Where I get in. Ah, this is why I get out. Right. So that's the the, the essence of it. Where you say yeah. that there is a certain amount of detachment and emotional detachment from the outcome, which sounds very much like what the metaphysicians nowadays is starting to become more uh, mainstream. They talk about setting the intention, doing the action, and then totally being uh, detached from the outcome, rather than chase it. It comes to you. That's right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, when you have to have in place certain criteria that, which you follow as long as you make it overall profitable. If not, you have to do something different. But you have to have the patience to wait for those conditions to be met. And that's probably one of the biggest problems that traders have, impatience. We've got certain criteria, say, for entering a trade, and they're almost met, and they haven't had a trade for a while, and they're dying to get into them, so they push the envelope. It's going to happen, and they'll get into and it. It, should, it doesn't happen. They shouldn't really be in the trade. They haven't had the patience to wait. The same thing. Say the trade's going brilliantly in your direction. Uh, okay, that's fine. You've got to have the patience to wait to get out at the time that you have set yourself to get out. Or you might put in what's again called a trailing stop to get out. But you, you've got to take the impatience out of it because that, that will undermine your trading success every time. 
So when you talk about the impatience, it's wanting something to happen quickly. Would you also say uh, underneath it, then the undercurrent is the fact that there is fear and greed? As in, oh, oh, what if it turns now against me? I would have lost all these profits. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's why you have to have a mechanical system. Because fear and greed are the two things that are so bad. Let's say you have a, a trade. It starts going against you and you're getting frightened. Oh, this is going to work. Because you think back of other trades that haven't worked. But if you have a mechanical system in place, you have a stop loss, a certain point where you have decided that if the trade reaches that point, that tells you this is not the trade to be in. And you have to have the patience to wait to let that happen because often you'll get into a trade and initially it'll go against you, but then in fact proves to be quite successful. If you, through fear, get out of the first sign of uh, things not going right, uh, you're going to probably lose a lot of money. The same thing happens with the greed. Uh, let's say the trade reaches the point where you've decided previously it meets your criteria for where you should get out of that trade to hopefully take your profit. But you think, oh, it's going so well. I might get this bit extra out of it. And sometimes you will, but most of the time it'll often turn against you. It comes back to, to having your mechanical criteria and having the patience and the detachment to stick with it instead of trying to override it through fear, greed, or hopes, the other thing. If something's going really badly, you hope it's going to come right. Well, usually it doesn't. So what you're talking about basically are the, are the human frailties, is what I'm hearing, that, and people going into the, the stock market or the forex market will only, in a sense, accentuate these frailties that they have. We have them all at different degrees, right? Actually, the greatest voyage of self-discovery you'll ever make, I think, is trade in the financial markets. I, I agree that's, with you. <laughs> that's, when you really, that's when you really find out what you've got or what you haven't got. And in fact, that's often very valuable if you have enough sense to recognize that this is not for me. And a lot of people do realize that as they get into it that this is not what they should be doing. Others totally ignore the fact that they're being told again and again, you're not really suited to this, and they keep doing it and often have a very miserable and a financially disastrous time out of it. Actually, you get this with pride a lot, that um, people who have done very well in business, you find this with men in, uh, who have run a business or have um, been a fairly high-powered executive and they've been used to getting results, telling people what to do and so on. They often find it really hard to accept that after they've analysed, let's say, a currency and have decided that the Australian dollar is going to rise against the American dollar, and they've worked it all out, they've got their charts in front of them, yet they find it really hard to accept that the market doesn't do what they accepted, what they expected to. Their pride is involved. It's a real ego thing, which is one of the reasons, I think, why women are often generally much better traders than men. They're not so ego-driven, not so pride-driven to show that, you know, they, can, they know the way things should be, and if the market's not doing it, the market's wrong. 
but of course we know the market's never wrong. It's uh, it's just there. It just is. Yeah, the market does what the market wants to do. Exactly. And it, it's up to us to recognise the trends, if there is a trend, uh, and if it goes against us to, to get out at a reasonable time, like you say, if a person has got a trading plan in place. Now, that brings up an interesting question about following the rules. Some people like to be maverick types, and it sounds like it's it's the alpha male types uh, yeah. who, who will just go, you know, oh, stuff the rules, I'm just going on flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and yet... The trouble is, if, they, if they're successful a few times, they're going to finish up losing a heck of a lot of money. The worst thing that can happen is that they have a few early successes. Right, right. So they, they because it, overall, it's not going to work. So is it is it more about self validation for them that see I'm right, I'll always be right. Yes. Yeah. It's more important to be right than to be actually losing the money or making the money. It's a, a real ego thing. Right, an ego thing. So your your job then as a, as the person once they come to you and, and <laughs> have that light bulb moment where they go, geez, I'm I'm really not cutting it as a as a trader. Um, you say that you meet them at the at that point where they are, and do you find underneath all that once you get talking to them is that they have this really perhaps fragile sense of self esteem? Uh, yes, that you do find that. Um, in fact, it's it's always it's been a surprise to me really that so many of the people who come to see me and I, I do a lot of work not just with um, traders I do a lot of work with sports people. Often some who would appear to be extremely successful, and I've worked with uh, lots of very successful musicians and a whole range of people, almost everyone in one form or another would say, but I just wish I was a bit more confident. People you would never dream that would lack that sort of confidence. And... Um, so I said, the thing I think that I'm most successful at and that I focus on most is helping people feel better about themselves, confident, um, esteeming themselves. Because I don't know why it is, that, not for everyone, of course, but for many, many people, they find it very easy to find things to blame themselves for and virtually ever praise themselves. And one of the things I try to get people to do is to, every day to look for things you've done that you think, oh, I'm glad I did that, or I did that well, and praise themselves for it, instead of finding some mistake for which they blame themselves. Mm, this, this is the self-criticism. The uh, It's almost like the, somebody described it as the drunk monkey on your shoulder giving you the trash talk. Um, saying no, you're, that, talking about, you're talking about the inner saboteur. Yeah, we're just basically... Most, most people have got that. Something inside them, I don't know what it is, something inside them is telling them what they can't do. Say, you, you, you know, with a trade, you've got a screen in front of you, you're doing technical analysis. Everything comes together and it looks, this looks a really good entry point. And if you're trading mechanically, you'll just, just do it. But so often, it'll be as though this little voice inside, this inner saboteur saying, oh, remember the last time you did one like this? This loss, this, you can't afford to lose another one here, you can, and it undermines you. And 
I find so many of my patients, once uh, they talk about this, they feel so relieved to know that so many other people seem to have this inner saboteur. And the way you handle it is quite interesting. <laughs> Actually, it's quite funny in a way. What you do is you've got to change your inner saboteur, the voice, the image, everything. Uh, I have um, uh, a chap who, he's always getting this voice, it's, and it's not his own voice actually, it's his father's voice, uh, which is quite loud, quite telling him what he can't do. And we've changed that, so he makes, every time he hears this voice, it sounds like Donald Duck gargling underwater, and it sounds ridiculous. But <laughs> once he was able to do that, he destroyed the power of this voice to undermine him. I had someone else who was terrified of death because he was brought up uh, uh, by the nuns who instilled in him an absolute fear of going to hell and burning. And he had this image in his mind, and this was a chap in his 40s, had this image in his mind of Satan, red Satan there with his, his tail and everything. And we turned Satan into this floppy-eared bunny rabbit cotton tail and so on. Sounds ridiculous, but it works. You change the image so that the, the power is no longer there. You take it away. It's something you laugh at. Very that's true. That's very climate. true. So basically, these people, when you talk about them, A, they are, their first impressions is probably in their, in their early days, before they were 10 yes. probably, had that kind of slapped around their heads and drilled into their subconscious about good, bad, worthy, unworthy. Um, exactly. Yeah. And they've carried that baggage all throughout their lives and it's influenced every facet of their life and you get to see that being played out in their trading, right? Yes. So in terms of, you know, some words of wisdom for people who are going to be listening to this and saying, geez, as a parent... What am I saying to my kids? It's always no, can't, or yes, can, or wait. <laughs> because a lot what of people... What you have to do, though, is examine what you're saying. Normally, we use the word should and ought a lot. You should do this, you ought to do this. You've got to examine where those shoulds and oughts come from. Uh, most of us are conditioned. We've got these beliefs that we cling to that are so important to us, our beliefs which have really been drummed into us in the first few years of our lives. And we've got to think back and think, are these beliefs now helpful? Who was it that told us this? Do we still believe that person was able to give us good advice or not? Should we continue to do this? People don't examine their beliefs like that. They just accept them as their beliefs, as if they created them themselves. And they were created for them by others. Do you go through that as an exercise with your with patients, and do they get this almost like a you know prophetic revelation when they go, "Oh my goodness, I've been living somebody else's principles." Yes. When you ask, it's that should or not question, because what happens? You sometimes stop yourself doing something because, and you'll say to yourself, "Oh, I shouldn't do that." That's where you. That's the uh, the clue. You think, why shouldn't I? Who told me I shouldn't? Do I still think that person knew what they were talking about? Do I still respect that person? 
And often you'll find that you can change your beliefs doing that. Mm. Is that also because they've been um, instilled with this sort of absolute authority uh, that your parents had over them and you're not to question this authority? Because in certain yeah. cultures, yeah, it's considered a really bad form to question mm. your, your, your elders. Yes, of course that's broken down a lot now. But see, a lot of things have broken down now that makes it so hard for people. I know when I was growing up, I'm, I'm really ancient now, but when I was growing up, I mean, you believe that the, uh, uh, the government told you the truth and that the um, <laughs> legal system and the police force was there to enforce justice, that the church uh, gave you moral leadership, and all those things we know are untrue now. So you lost a bit um, finding some sort of direction, sense of direction, throw more back upon your, your own ability to create a life yourself. So do you find that you're, you're the traders who, who consistently outperform the rest and are considered successful actually have some sort of personal belief system of faith as well? Uh, yes. As I said there, almost all of them stick to a mechanical system, so they, their emotions are not to, uh, to get too involved, but all of them you have a belief in themselves and their own worth and value as human beings and in their own ability to handle what the uh, what the market might throw at them. Yeah, but also Rather do they have, the, sorry, have a faith in a higher power, yeah. I mean, as in a very strong sense 